This is the Bud Light Morning Rush Podcast, brought to you by the all-new Natural Light Natterdays with a refreshing strawberry lemonade twist. It's Natterdays. They're going to run and get that boot. The Arkansas Razorbacks have completed the dream season. A baseball team that's on the way back. A college world series title. Stadium. I almost got fired because I went Willie the boss after I had a little too much sauce. This is the Bud Light Morning Rush Podcast. Tuesday is a day that's not like, oh, it's Wednesday. Don't worry, we're halfway there. Thursday, we, we, we're about to be there. It's just We discussed this a week ago. Tuesday's the day you got to get after it. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday are when like 80% of the stuff gets done around the office. You got to get it done on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday so you can kind of Catch up from Monday when you had Mondayitis, and then if we get everything done by Thursday, well, you know, we might be able to slough off a little bit Friday afternoon. You know, that's how it works. Yeah, you want to work till 5 on Friday? I don't want to be around at 5 o'clock on Friday. No, but Tuesdays, I mean, to get stuff done, that's not very fun. That's not nobody a Nobody wants thing. to meet on, again, nobody wants to have a meeting on Monday if they can avoid it. Nobody wants to have an in-office meeting on Monday because the boss is never in a good mood on Mondays. So let's get everything done on Tuesdays when everybody's a little more rested a little more relaxed, and I'm telling you, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday are where you better make it count during a week. Mm. Huge, huge day today. Well, big you, day. You better see, bring your big boy pants today. You seemed like you were in a pretty good mood yesterday. You said the boss is never in a good mood. You were in a good mood uh, yesterday you know, losing, losing one of three to LSU wasn't too bad. See, you know? Yeah, you had that hey, and Mother's Day and listen, all that. We hadn't talked about this. I've, I've shared this with you, but I, I can't be in a bad mood. As, as, as you may know, Uh-oh. listening out there, Oh jeez. Well, you know, you want me. I can. I can save this for later. No, 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 no. Bring it because I. I. I just wish that I could see the grin on your face right now because I know you're. You're not in studio what? with us, but just the grin on your face right now as yeah, you're I'm, telling this story. I am in the ESPN 104.3 studios in in Harrison, Arkansas, this morning, uh, originating this content. Yes. But this Saturday is the second leg of the Triple Crown. The Preakness is this Saturday in Baltimore. And as you may know, I, I have uh, dabbled a little bit in 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 the horses a mm-hmm. little bit. Yeah. Me and some other guys found an opportunity a couple of years ago to get ourselves involved in a very minor way, but a very fun way, with a group called Ten Strike Racing. And over the last three years, we've had a minor partnership with these guys, and one of the horses that uh, in our uh, in our stable, if you will is a horse named Warrior's Charge. Warrior's Charge had a little bit of a slow start this year uh, due to, to some illness, a fever that set him back a couple of starts, and really showed a lot of promise earlier in the year, but was not quite there and ready, not on schedule for an Arkansas Derby start, but mm. showed the talent and the ability. Well, with everything that happened at the Kentucky Derby and everything that went on with the top horses draw, uh, falling out, Guess whose horse is going to get a start this Saturday in the Preakness? I'm assuming your horse. Warrior's Charge. Yes, mm. sir, baby. Wow. So you can say, you can say you now know someone who is a thoroughbred owner with a horse in a triple crown race. Ooh, buddy. So wh- where is my autograph book, Tommy Craft? <laughs> I would love to get your John Hancock in there and just tra- cherish it forever. Let no. me embellish and, and overextend <laughs> that comment as far as I can. Absolutely. <laughs> hey, and here's the thing, though. I'm, I'm joking with you, but in all honesty, though, that is a really cool thing. I'm it not, is a pretty cool thing. Yeah. Now, 
I have some some buddies that are involved in this thing, and and they are they're going. I, I'm I'm going to be on vacation next week, and I'm going. I'm going to a Caribbean island, and I'm not going to the race. But they're all going, and they're going to have a big time. And they were sending me pictures of this owner's tent that we've all been invited to. It's on the infield at, at Pimlico. Mm. And it looks like it's going to be a great time. I mean, it's going to be awesome. But just the fact that, you know, uh, you know you, you've got a connection. There, there were Here's the thing. that There were 27,000. I know we never start the show with horses. No. But there were 27,000 horses that were born three years ago and only nine maybe ten horses are going to go forward into the starting gate this saturday for the second leg of the triple crown when you put it like and that you got one of them that's a pretty cool thing right there yeah so if you had to put a percentage on it how much do you have a stake in the horse as far as percentage well, well you go? know we might not want to go in you know it's kind of <laughs> like do you ever watch dukes of hazard uh the movie or the show the show the movie was a little probably a little more uh, entertaining <laughs> in, in some other ways but uh, Daisy no, duke was pretty good in the original right i didn't watch it but i know well, i know what it is i know what you're talking about you know, remember when boss hog and, and roscoe pico trained they would talk about they'd be they'd be cutting up their interest in certain things and and roscoe's half his half of your half of your half of your half <laughs> it's kind of one of them deals okay but, I have a, a a a a minor. Let's just say I have a minority interest. We'll leave it at that. Okay. Well, that's fine because here but I have let, an interest. Let's, that's the thing. I do have I do have a piece. As long as you have an interest, that's right. That's all that matters, and it makes it a lot more entertaining. So you're saying that I should put money on Warriors I'm Charge this you, weekend? The Morning Rush has a, a connection, and the and the Morning Rush uh, is fully on board with Warriors Charge. Who okay. won't be the favorite, but I I think we'll go off at less than ten to one on Saturday. Uh, as Warriors Charge, we're going to have a Special guest uh, this week for a horse racing segment on Friday to kind of get ready for the uh, second leg of the Triple Crown. And Clay Sanders, who's involved in 10-strike racing, we're going to talk to him later on this week uh, about uh, he's one of the great handicappers in America and has been uh, very successful in some handicapping contests. And uh, we'll talk with Clay about not just Warriors Charge, but about the the Preakness and and maybe get his thoughts on what happened at the Kentucky Derby. But, uh, yeah. I'm all in on Warriors Charge, baby. Ready mm. to go this Saturday. All right. Well, I'll, I'll be sure to be watching. So and, I can't be in a bad mood. I've got a, I've got a lot of good stuff happening this week. Well, it sounds like it. And then when you're going on vacation, it's like, oh, I can't uh, make yeah. it to the Preakness. I got to be in the Caribbean. I got to be at the Turks Islands or wherever you're going. Isn't that so. a isn't that a a good deal? Where you can't make it to to a Triple Crown race that you have an interest in a horse running because you're going to a Caribbean island. That's 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 a pretty good deal right there. Yeah, yeah. How's bragging camp going for you, Tommy? That's, that's, I think I'm succeeding right now. Jeez, my goodness! And I'm over here just you know hanging out with me, me and my dog Rowdy, pretty much mm-hmm. is, is what we're doing. So, but that's all right. Hey, I'm happy for you. We're all rooting for you. Does the Morning Rush get a logo like on the on the uh, the jockey or the horse? Some sort of promotion, advertising, anything like that? You know that that's a, we 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 got maybe we could talk to Clay. About we got that. to do that, yeah, because I you don't know, think that will go very far, but. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, we could ask. Yeah, I mean, it's worth an ask. You know, you got to be able to find out if you can make that happen. That'd be great promotion for the show. Trying to find a way to make that happen. So, but uh, yeah, we'll definitely be watching that. And uh, I mean, and let's be honest, well, I I would not normally watch the Ken, the Kentucky Derby or the the Preakness, excuse me, for uh, if if it didn't have your horse in it, I probably would right. not even know it was going on. So now I have interest in it. I called you last week. I found out about this last Thursday, and I've kind of kept this to myself a little bit at least. But I called you when it happened. I said, you're not going to believe the call I just got. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think that was the happiest call that I've ever received from Tommy Craft well, right there. 
I'm gonna tell you, I wish you know my my dad passed away a couple of years ago, but I if there's one person I wish I could tell more than anybody be him because he would absolutely just love that story. Yeah, well, it's a great and story. It's a great story about how uh, you know you 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 have a, a a chance to do something, and, and you know in a couple of years you 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 have something like this happen where you're at one of the one of the two or three biggest races of the year in the world so yeah. hey it, again it's it's something that uh, you have a little bit of interest in but it's a lot of interest to you and it'll be a cool story if he wins yeah i mean just think about it and think about the uh the pluses and the benefits that'll come along with it so we're going to be again rooting for warriors charge this warriors weekend charge. In, in the preakness so uh, really looking forward to that you're listening to the bud light morning rush podcast brought to you by the all-new natural light natterdays a light lager brewed with a phenomenal strawberry lemonade flavor that's perfect for bringing the fun to every occasion the new natural light natterdays touchdown TJ Hammonds uh, officially being back with the team, and he's a running back that a lot of Razorback fans are familiar with. In fact, during the uh, the past two seasons, especially Brett Bielma's last year, he was one of the few real bright spots on the offense as a guy who had a lot of ability, a lot of athleticism, a lot of speed, and had some playmaking ability, which was few and far between from a lot of the players, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Well, now he's officially back with the team. And when you look at the running back position now that he is officially back with the team, you have Rakeem Boyd, which we all know what he was and what he did last season. He was, he was a great running back last year. The transfer, uh, he was originally at Texas A&M. Then, of course, he went to the Last Chance U in the show that we all watch here on the Morning Rush uh, there in Kansas at that Juco in Coffeyville. And then he came down to Arkansas. So we know his story. Devois Whaley is another player that's going to be there. He's a senior as well, highly recruited coming out of high school. And Chase Hayden's another guy that who's out of Memphis and another highly recruited player coming out of high school and one that you've seen some really good things from. And it's just amazing that if you take all four of those running backs coming out of high school, all four of them were four-star players. All four of them had a lot of scholarship offers to a lot of big-time schools, and they've come to Arkansas. And all four of them, you've also seen really good things from in certain places and in certain situations throughout the past two seasons, especially for when it comes to Arkansas. And this is the question that I actually put out on social media at Hit That Line AR is – with what you know of the running back position and the players that I just mentioned, is the running back position group the best position group on the team next year? And if it is, how important and how pivotal is that going to be for the success of this team in 2019? Best position group. What would be uh, hmm. wide receiver? We don't know enough about yet. They, they're, the wide receiver is gaining the depth, but is it quality depth? Right. So I, I don't think we can say that is. Tight ends used to be like the go-to place, but can we say that about the tight ends now? I mean, Sean O'Grady and Hudson Henry are pretty good, yeah, but, least, but but I mean, <laughs> Hudson Henry was highly recruited, mm-hmm. right? Do you know anything about him as a college football player at the SEC level yet as a tight end? No, we do not know anything. Okay, it just we just know he had a ton of offers from everybody in the country, and if, he, if he's anything like his brother, he's going to be really good. But right. everything's unproven at this point. He just hadn't had a chance to come in and. And prove himself at this point. Uh, offensive line, no conversation there. That that's not in the mix. As far as offense, yeah, I mean the running backs have to be because they're the most proven group of guys. Again, to me, when you look at running backs, you don't need to look at further than about three guys. Now I know injuries happen. This is the SEC. You know, guy number four and five on your depth chart can certainly be a factor at some point in the year. But 
other than some of these, you really think they're going to have four or five backs if everyone's healthy in the Ole Miss game? I, I don't see it. Yeah. I mean, about three backs is the, the max, right? I mean, conventionally at least. Yes, conventionally is the key, but yes. So, But we've also seen an offense at Arkansas in days gone by that used three tight ends at a time. So who knows what might happen. Well, and you know, Normally teams don't use two or three tight ends at a time, and we've seen Arkansas do that in the past. Why? Because your best, off- your best offensive athletes were tight ends at that time. So let's get our best athletes on the field. So we, we needed to get Hunter Henry and A.J. Derby and some of these guys on the field because they were your best football players. Yeah. So are these your best football players? I think that's the, that's the second question here. You know, because you might be able to line some of these guys up in a in a slot or line some of these guys up in other positions other than just a traditional running back spot because I don't think there's anything traditional about what Chad Morris is going to do and find creative ways, and that's one thing he wants to do is adapt and be creative. What are some other ways you get the football in these guys' hands? If they're your best football players, you know, that that's really the question. Who's your best group of football players? Is it running backs? Quite possibly. Yeah, I mean, they de- they definitely have enough talent, and they're all SEC caliber running backs. But that was going to be my point, Tom, is when you were bringing it up of with a ch- with a regular offense, like say like a Brett Bielma offense, and, and what's something that we were used to in the previous regime. It, it was very conventional. It was an offense that had a lot of eye formation. There'd be times they'd mix it up a little bit, but for the most part, it was it was a pretty conventional. They like to do power a lot of times too. But it wasn't necessarily of getting the ball into the hands of your playmaker every single time or somebody who can make a play every single time. Sometimes it was just grinded out. Sometimes it's just trying to get a few yards. It wasn't really set up that way. And the offense that Chad Morris, at least that's what we've been told that he's trying to do and looking at offenses and coaches that are similar to his philosophy and what he tries to do, it's set up to the, way, to the point of where they want to get the ball into their playmaker's hands Every single time, because playmakers, you know, stop traffic, but playmakers make plays. That's why they call them playmakers. And if you even look back to what what Gus Malzahn in in a short period at Arkansas, a lot of people we all know about the controversy of who actually had a say in what the offense was doing and, and who was calling plays and all that. But one of the things that I think that Gus Malzahn did adapt is that he found ways to get the ball into his best players' hands. And in, in the case of like the Wildcat formation that they had with Darren McFadden, I mean, what better place to start? Then to as soon as the ball is snapped, boom, it is in your best player's hands and he can be multiple in what he's going to do with it. And I think that I'm not saying that Chad Morris is going to run a wildcat with some of these guys. He may. But my point is, is that when the ball is snapped, you may see some quick passes. You may see some quick runs. You may see some screen passes. You may see some things done to try to get the ball into these players' hands and say, all right, once you get it into your hands, go make a play. The rest of it is on you. You make it happen. You take it forward. You find a way to get a first down, get a touchdown, get a big game, whatever it is, which I think is going to be really beneficial. And that's also what a lot of players like playing for. It's because they kind of like to have that control. They kind of like to be dependent on in that way. It's like, okay, as soon as I get this ball in my hands, I don't have to worry about, all right, making sure that I go through this gap exactly or, or making sure that uh, I'm, I have to go around this way or this is the type of play that's set up for this amount of yardage. It's just me with the ball. I'm going to go do what I can to get extra yardage and to uh, get a first down or a touchdown. And I think that that's what these running backs are going to be used for in a lot of different ways. Find their strengths, whether it is screen passes or running it up the middle or whatever it is. Find their strengths, utilize them, and then just keep giving them the ball and keep giving them those situations to find themselves in so that way they can be successful. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what the balance is in the offense this year between run and pass. And how much of this is an offense that you just line up and 
are you able to cram it down some people's throats? Is this offensive line going to be able to support a run game that can move the chains? I mean, you can have good running backs, but that that's my concern is, all right, you got these guys with we're talking about Hammonds today because he's reinstated and Whaley, and you know you start going through the names here. But let's go through the names. We're gonna have to open up the holes, you know, because unless you're gonna get these guys outside on the edge and try to find a hole there to get four or five yards by just using speed, and you know it's not like the the defenses in this league don't have fast guys too. Right. Uh, I, I'm still not confident, even though you may have some 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 really good running backs. What are they running behind? You yeah. know that, that, that and that's the such the unproven f- factor here is all right, you you know you feel good about your running backs but none of us feel good about the offensive line and you know until you shore that up I don't know how how effective the running backs can be and that's where you know like we said you may have to find other ways to put these guys on the field and try to get the ball in their hands out in, out in screens and throwing screens out of the backfield and try to get them on the edges and yeah, you may not go for big plays, but you know, if you keep getting four or five, four or five, four or five, you keep moving chains, you'll eventually get down there. Yeah, and that's why I brought that up as far as getting having plays made for them and ta- tailored to them, so that way they can get out in yeah. space because of that offensive line and that issue. It's just as of right now, I don't know where the confidence is. If there's any confidence that the offensive line is going to be able to open up holes for these guys, but every conversation we want to have about the offense comes back to this, right? That's so right. If, if tomorrow we come on and we decide, hey, let's talk about re- wide receivers. <laughs> And the passing game and how that's, I mean, well, at some point we're going to revert back to, well, this offensive line, you know, that's going to come up is that phrase. Well, you know, that offensive line. Mm-hmm. Uh, until that until that problem gets fixed, he just really cripples his offense. And, and that's going to be the, the one thing they've got to make a huge stride in this year. This offense is going to make any any strides and, and just efficiencies, you know, getting first downs and, you know, obviously getting in the red zone and scoring touchdowns this year. That old well, that old offensive line, you know. Yeah. So it's just hard to make anything work, and particularly if you're going to line up with some running backs and just try to get some yards and eat some clock. Uh, well, you better have an offensive line that's going to be able to at least get you some holes where you can get four or five. Yeah. Uh, because you know we know we know about how good the defenses are in this league. Well, you know, we're going to talk about Alabama later in the show. We know how good yeah. their defense is. Mississippi State, LSU, Auburn. Those defensive lines right there are going to be amongst the best in the country. Yeah. Well, even and too, Tommy, when you talked about the offensive line, it feels like they have upgraded. Arkansas's offense has upgraded every position group except the offensive line. Like the wide receivers are going to be better this year, at least you feel like, than they were last year. The quarterback position is going to be better this year than it was last year. Tight ends with the addition of Hudson Henry will be better. Running backs will be better because assuming everyone's going to be healthy, should be in a better position. It's just going to come down to that offensive line. And, and that's really where it's like you want to be optimistic because everywhere else on the offensive line is really good or at least has gotten better on paper. You feel like the talent's gotten there. But if it's if it's like comes keeps coming back to the offensive line, like it's unfortunate that, that that didn't progress forward. That didn't move forward. Every place else moved forward. Every other position moved forward. But the offensive line, as of right now, and what we know is – just as good and has a possibility of even being worse this upcoming season because of what they lost last year. Yeah. So, I mean, it just uh, – it's hard to feel confident that any position group's going to highly succeed until we know a little bit more about that. I mean, it, it, you, you don't want the water on the campfire, but that's just the reality of it, right? Yes. Yes. I mean, because we've just – we have – 
we have lived through it for, I mean, when was the last serviceable, decent offensive line that Arkansas five across was at least serviceable? Mm. 2015? Yeah, 2015 probably. That was, I mean, that uh, was Sebastian really- Tretola and, and Dan Skipper, Denver Kirkland, Mitch Smothers, Frank Ragnall. Yeah, I'd say that's probably the last so serviceable one. the last one. three years, we've just just kind of watched that be the, the Achilles heel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can see why no and, – and you wonder why, when's it going to change? What's it going to take to change? Three years and then how much faith do you got that 2019, year four of this, is going to be the – well, this is the year it turns around. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I guess it's going to take at some point – that year where you've got two or three really good in-state kids, I don't know what it's going to take. I, you know, hopefully you get some kids from Texas come in here, some grad. Tra- I don't know. Problem with grad transfers, they don't stay long. You know, no. you get one year out of. Them. I don't know what it's going to take to get kids interested in coming to Arkansas, um, and and being an offensive lineman in this system. But something there's some kind of disconnect there, and and you can trace it back to. To really, I guess, what, Sam Pittman's departure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it all started there. And he, and it seemed like each year, Tommy was like, well, this guy and this guy's not very good, but you still have Frank Ragnow and Yelda Froholt. They're pretty yeah. good. It's like you kept losing them each year. And then now it's like, even last year, it's like, well, the offensive line's bad, but Yelda Froholt's been all right. I mean, he's yep. still pretty good. He still got drafted. And now this year, you don't have any of that right now. Yeah, but one guy can't block four. Well, I understand that. You know, And, and the problem is you're, you're going up against a four-man front week in, week out in this league with with four guys that are all, yeah. where two or three of them probably going to get drafted at some point. Right, right. And I understand that. I'm just saying that that's, it, it, the, that's the recruiting has shown itself and how poor it's been yeah. because each year you lost, but you didn't gain. You well, didn't gain it, anything back. Well, that's my point. You got five guys going up against five guys that aren't going to get drafted going up against three or four guys that are. Yeah. And you're going to lose every time. Yeah. I mean, it's it's that's just the way it's going to be. We'll but, lose that battle in the trenches, and we just. I mean, it don't take a genius to figure out that's where football games are going to be won and lost more often than not. Yep, exactly. Especially here in this conference where the trench play is pivotal to your success. You're listening to the Bud Light Morning Rush Podcast. Brought to you by the all-new Natural Light Natterdays. The new beer of the summer with a refreshing strawberry lemonade twist. Natterdays, fun for every occasion. They won't catch him. Alex Collins is going to take it all the way to the house. Today, we will talk about a team that has seemed to have a lot of success here as of late, and that would be the Alabama Crimson Tide. The, the mighty oh, Alabama A little Crimson bit Tide. of success. Yeah, just, just a little bit. Uh, and, you know, it's funny because last year, some in Alabama, not all, but some considered it an epic disappointment that they did not win the national championship. They won every game going into it, but Clemson... Met them in the finals and absolutely destroyed the Crimson Tide, which was something that we are not used to seeing, Tommy. Like, listen, we've seen Alabama lose games. We've seen Alabama lose games in in close ways and in different ways. You know, we all remember the kick six play against Auburn. Like, they've lost games in different ways. But I can't remember a time, at least under Nick Saban, during the dominating era of Alabama football, where they lost the way they did against Clemson in the national championship game. 44-16 to 16 was the final score, and honestly, it wasn't even that close. And so that was the last taste we got of Alabama was in that championship game, and now they have work to do where they have to come back and not only get back to that point of getting into the national championship, but it looks like it's leaning towards being another rematch against Clemson once again because Clemson's going to be really good too. So it's just... 
it's getting as far as the SEC goes, Tommy, it's going to be the same old same Alabama. But their biggest question, their biggest concern, is going to be about winning the national t- championship, not just being the runner-up. Yeah, I mean they're not. Yeah, that, that's they're they're where everybody's striving to get. They're the gold standard, obviously. And and you know, once again, uh, they got what appears to be, if not the best quarterback in the country, one of the best two or three quarterbacks in the country. Uh, when you look at every position group with them, they're either one, two, or three in the country. It seems like one of the best offensive lines. Um, you know, where 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 is their weakness? You know, good running backs, but I mean, it's going to start and end with Tua, obviously. Yeah. And uh, it'll be interesting to to see how this offense uh, maybe will be a little different now that Jalen Hurts isn't there, um, and how maybe they operate a little different to keep Tua healthy. Um, now his brother his brother has committed. His brother's not there yet, right? No, his brother is there. It is there? Okay, I know he's committed. I just didn't know when he arrived. Right. Um, so, you know, it'll be interesting to see um, who ends up being, I guess it'd be, what is it, Mac Jones will be his, his backup? I think I'm having to look at it because I'm looking at the yeah. roster. Yeah, it's Mac Jones. Yeah, Mac. So, uh, you know, it'd be interesting to see how they, because I think last year you could do some things with Tua and, you you know, if he gets hurt or you, you take a risk with him, you still have Jalen Hurts, you know. Well, you're, you're thinking might be a little bit different if you're Nick Saban this year, knowing that the drop-off between Tua and and the and the next man up is is a little more steep than it was last year. Yeah, and and that's what it's going to come down to as far as the play of Tua. Because listen, Tommy, I, I know we know how great of a player. In fact, there was times last year where we were doing this show and talking about Alabama that we were bringing up: Could this be the best Alabama team of all time? Could this be one of the best offenses in college football of all time? Just because of the way they were beating opponents and scoring at will. That was another thing that we saw from Alabama last year that we hadn't been used to. We know that Alabama always had great players, but they were scoring 40, 50 points like it was nobody's business last season. It just seemed like it was coming so natural. And you, well, well, how many straight games did you have where Tua didn't even throw a fourth quarter pass? It was pretty much the entire season. They, they, he didn't even throw a pass in the fourth quarter. It was just they were dominating people so much. And so now the question becomes, at least for me, is how, like, how often do you see a player like that and what Tua did last year? Obviously, he didn't win the Heisman. Kyler Murray won it, but it was a close race. But how many times do you see players, especially quarterbacks, come back the next year after a fantastic year, after all those records, after all that success, and replicate what they did the year before? To me, it just seems like that doesn't happen very often. And if Alabama can't get that replication from Tua this year... That's kind of going to be the thing where everyone's wondering, okay, is something wrong? What's going on with Alabama? Why are they not scoring at will? Why are they not? Why is Tua not putting up the numbers that he did last year? I think that's going to be the key is can he replicate or at least be that same player, have that same success at the quarterback position that he did last year? Because that's really what Alabama's going to have to hold their hat on offensively. Yeah, a- a- absolutely. And, uh, and another thing Alabama's always had, oh, it's a pretty decent defense. That uh, Yeah, it's not bad. It's not <laughs> yeah. bad. Alabama generally, not always, but generally doesn't have to score forty plus points to win a football game. They don't generally win a lot of have to win a lot of games forty five, forty two. In fact, last year, when you say it was one of their better defenses till the till the end, and they collapsed at the end. Yeah, statistically, uh, it was really good. Statistically, one of their best defenses like ever. And then that was the weird thing, and the the thing that shocked us all in the national championship game is how they just got, you know, they just got trucked. Yeah. You know, and uh, yeah, that was that was what none of us could see coming. Yeah. There was what happened in that second half. So it's a little easier when you uh, can do some things offensively when you got you know you got a defense that's 
not going to give up very many points. And because they won what I think every game, but but one during the regular season by, or maybe they won every game by double digits or more. Yeah. So, so I mean, they just they dominated everybody all season long. Obviously. Yeah, because I was looking back at their schedule from last year. Because sometimes you you forget about it, at least I do. But I'm looking at these these scores. 51-14, 57-7, 62-7, That was actually a close game. 56-14, 65-31. That was actually against Arkansas. 39 to 10, 58-21, 21-9-0, 24-0, 50-17. I mean, it's just those are SEC opponents <laughs> that they were just lamb blasting. And then I, I don't know what happened, but once postseason play came around and they played in the SEC title game, they only beat Georgia by a touchdown. They had to come back in that game. Thanks to Jalen Hurts, who actually came into the game for Tua and performed really well and came back and won that game. But they only won that game by a touchdown. And then they were up big on Oklahoma to start the uh, college football playoff semifinal. And then Oklahoma kind of stormed back a little bit. And in fact, it ended up only being a 45-34 to game. But if it wasn't for that big lead that Alabama got to in the beginning, Oklahoma could have won that game. And also if it wasn't for Oklahoma's poor defense, too. So we'll see if that changes. And then we all know the championship game. It just seemed like something happened once they hit postseason play that they weren't the same Alabama team. And that was really uncharacteristic for Nick Saban, coach team, because that that's not what they do. That's They've always held their hat on, on finishing strong, on winning the big games. But at the same time, too, I think, Tommy, is I think last year is another uh, proven theory behind sometimes it's best for a team to lose in the regular season. Sometimes. Sometimes well, it's best I mean, to have that loss to be able to kind of get that out of the yeah. way and say, re-motivate re yourself, get everything kind of close and back together because we got to make sure we don't let that happen again in postseason play. Depends on who it is and when it is. Right. You know, that, that's, that's, the thing in, that's the thing in college football is you got to lose at the right time to the right opponent. Uh, if, there's, if there is a good time to lose, you know. Obviously, Clemson liked the way they they ran the ran the table last year. But you're right, um, you you can afford to lose, but if you lose late November, or you lose in your conference championship game, uh, there's just certain places where if you lose at at the wrong spot, it it, it costs you your shot. There is no redeeming yourself uh, in that in that game. It, it's a very razor thin margin of error. Yep, no doubt about it. So it'll be interesting to see how it goes this year for Alabama too. But Tommy, can we go ahead and like put money on Clemson and Alabama meeting again? Like, would you be shocked if it was not Clemson and Alabama again? Everybody had like this um, fatigue going. Oh, we don't want to see Alabama Clemson again. Now I think that the mood is we'd be disappointed if we didn't see it again. I know I would be at least. You know, everybody. I don't. I'm tired of Clemson Bama in the national title game. Well. I think that's the game we all got to see and want to see again. It's it, I don't know if it's the greatest rivalry in college sports or college football right now, but it's it's pretty well up there. And the the, the conversation and the talk we were talking last week uh, about comparing or, or combining the ACC and SEC coaching rosters and ranking them, and and Dabo was ahead of Nick Saban. Yeah, you know that there's another rivalry conversation which coaches better. You know, I, I still think Saban is, but in the here and now, some people believe more of the players, more of today's players want to play for Dabo Sweeney. So um, who's running the better program right now? Who's having the more, most success? Now that's, you know, if you look at over the last three years, four years, that's that's a hard conversation if you limit it to what are you doing right now. 
Or what are you going to do in the next two to three years, four years? Who's going to have more success over the next three seasons? Not forget about what Nick Saban has done. Who's going to do more in the next three years? I don't know. That, that's a whole different conversation right there between those two coaches. And I think that's what fuels that rivalry right there a little bit. That and they, they don't play, you know, on the third Saturday in October every year in their conference schedule. You only get to see them, only get to see them per, perhaps in the national championship game. If they did meet for a fifth time, USA Today handicapper Danny Sheridan had Alabama as a three-point favorite. And really? Since I think it was 20, 2009, has only been an underdog one time in really? the Nick Saban era, and that was and against I, Georgia when they blasted them like thirty-eight to ten. I something. remember that. Yeah. Well, and that's kind of surprising too that Alabama would be favored in that. But you know, that's that's what makes Vegas and all that interesting. But uh, you know, as far as what who I would think right now. I'm probably leaning towards Clemson, but it'll be a great match because I'm with you, Tommy. I, I think Clemson and Alabama would make for the best championship game. I mean, that, and that's what I want. That's what we all want. We want the best game with the most talent and the biggest teams going up against each other. Why not make it three in a row? Why not go for uh, a rubber match between the two opponents? I think it would be fantastic. You're listening to the Bud Light Morning Rush Podcast, brought to you by the all-new Natural Light Natterdays, the new beer of the summer. Aaron Suttles, who writes for The Athletic and covering Alabama. Aaron, really appreciate you joining us this morning, man. How you doing? I'm doing well, guys. How are you? Uh, we're doing really well. And in fact, uh, anytime we get to talk a little SEC football, it's always a fun time. But in, instead, this time, since we're talking about Alabama, it hasn't really been that fun for Arkansas, at least, uh, since they have not won a game against the Crimson Tide since 2006. But uh, we'll just start here. Uh, with Alabama, knowing that they, they lost the national championship game to Clemson last year. I'm sure that a, a lot of Alabama fans and the Alabama team themselves are really motivated not only to get back to that point, but to win the game and win the championship this year. Just what's overall the feeling, the mood, the expectation of going into this season for Alabama football is the expectation to win the national championship and get revenge from last season against Clemson? I would say internally, yes. Um but from a national perspective, I think for the first time in a long time, it's, there's starting to be questions asked, has Alabama been passed? And, and Clemson's obviously the hot story in college football right now and the way they won that national championship game, rightfully so. But, uh, yeah, Nick, Nick Saban has spoken several times this offseason about how he feels his team last year lost their humility after beating uh, LSU and Tiger Stadium 29 to nothing. I think there were some flaws in last year's team that were hidden, quite frankly, because Quentin Williams became the best defensive player in college football. Uh, he covered up a lot of a lot of problems in the secondary and in the inside linebacker. And so he's gone. And uh, but, but overall, I think they feel better overall defensively this year than what they had last year. In fact, this year's secondary might be a strength. You might not find a better corner tandem in the country than Patrick Sertain Jr. And Trayvon Diggs. So I think they feel pretty good what they have on defense. Well, and defense has always been Nick Saban's wheelhouse. And last year, the conversation throughout the whole season, at least on this show for sure, was about the offense that Alabama had. I mean, just scoring at will. It seemed like Tua never threw a pass there in the fourth quarter for so long because they were just scoring so many points against opponents and really good opponents at times, too. And looking at this season with Tua returning, is the offense going to be similar to what we saw last year? What does it overall look like as far as the players lost, players gained, and the fact that Tua's coming back can't hurt either? Well, the scary thing for you know defenses is that 
their skill positions are pretty much the same. I mean, they lose Damian Harris and, and Josh Jacobs, but other than that, and, and Irv Smith Jr., but other than that, everyone's back. All those wide receivers are back. Jerry Judy, who won the Bolitnikoff, is back. Henry Ruggs, who no one really talks about, who but is secretly one of the best receivers in the country. He's back. Devontae Smith is back. Jalen Waddle's back. Of course, two is back. And, uh, and then they had just have more running backs coming in. They got uh, Najee Harris, former five-star kid from California. It's finally his turn. Brian Robinson. And they got a five-star kid coming in from ING Academy, Trey Sanders. So offensively, they're going to be loaded again. I do think there will be – I don't think the offense is going to change, and you'd be foolish to do so. You, you need to play to your player's strengths. And Alabama is a passing football team with the weapons they have. But I do think there's a desire probably – when it calls for it, that they they be able to play power football running it. And there were times they struggled in short yarded situations last year, and, and especially if you saw the red zone. Everybody remembers them getting blown out in the national championship game. What people forget is up until the fourth quarter, they were dominating the yardage. I mean, they, they marched up and down the field on Clemson. Mm-hmm. They just got in the red zone, couldn't run the ball, couldn't score. So I think there will be a replaced emphasis on on power running. And I think they they got an offensive line that can do that, but they're not going to be any wholesale changes just because you know two is a once in a generation quarterback, and you got a wide receiving core that's probably the best in the country. Speaking with Aaron Suttles, Alabama beat writer for the Athletic, right now on the Morning Rush. Aaron, just looking at Alabama's football schedule this year, a lot of people have, of course, been critical of it, but the non big non-conference game is against Duke. If you look at the SEC schedule, we always know how difficult it is to be, but as, out of the East, they're playing South Carolina, and of course, their uh, regular scheduled game against Tennessee. It seems like as far as getting back to the at least the SEC championship game, the schedule sets up really nicely for Alabama to possibly go undefeated again this year. And I feel like that's probably going to be a big step, too, as far as Alabama getting back to that point is because, you know, it's not to say that the SEC is weak or the SEC West is weak, but it's when you have a schedule like this and knowing that some of your biggest games are at home in Alabama, that's going to be the key for Alabama going through the season like they did last year again. Yeah, what a boring schedule for the fans who pay a lot of money for these tickets. I don't blame Alabama for the Duke game because they don't, a lot of people don't understand how those neutral sites work. Uh, those games are made by ESPN. Mm-hmm. They're made by television. So that's the best opponent that ESPN could get Alabama. Then, I mean, for the second year in a row, it's kind of a snoozer. And we're used to Alabama playing USC or Michigan or Florida State. And then last year they get Louisville without Lamar Jackson. And this year it's going to be Duke. But when you look at it right now, and things change, but how we view this schedule right now, I only see three losable games on this schedule. Um, and, and, and even those, I don't know how realistic they are. But the three losable games, I think, are Texas A&M. They have to go to Kyle Field in College Station. Um, they, they host LSU at home, which LSU should be a good, pretty good football team this year. And then they go to Jordan Hare to play Auburn. And, you know, when Auburn's got a decent football team, that is a very difficult environment for how they want to play in. But other than that, you're right. I mean, those are the only three losable games that I see on that schedule. And then you get, you know, if you advance through that, you're probably playing Georgia again in the SEC championship game. So you're right. It, it, you know, I think that hurt Alabama last year, how dominant they were. This is going to get lost because of the, they didn't win a national championship. That was the most dominant season we've ever seen in SEC football, ever. They steamrolled 
everyone in the regular season. They beat the tar out of them, as you mentioned, too. It didn't play in most fourth quarters. It was the most dominant regular season we've seen in SEC history. But because of that, they didn't really get challenged. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it cost them, you know, toward the end of the season, we saw how Georgia should have won that SEC championship game. And then when they faced a stiff competent, uh, competition in Clemson, they just didn't know how to react. So it, it played against them last year. Uh, but we might be saying the same thing this year. Well, that, that was actually going to be my next question. It's because something that I brought up is last year for Alabama almost seemed like a, a good theory or a good proven theory behind losing a game in the regular season can really help you out in postseason play as far as the, the way you get challenged, the way you refocus, the way you get back to things getting on the right track. Do you feel like, just looking at it in hindsight, that if Alabama would have lost a regular season game at some point last year, it would have been a, a different scenario in postseason for them? I think it would have uh, refocused them, certainly. I mean, heck, I'm not talking a loss. If they'd have been challenged, I think they're – I'd have to go back and look. But outside of A&M, which was fairly early in the season, their closest game might have been 22 to nothing against Mississippi State. Right. And Mississippi State had the best defense in the country by every metric. So they just didn't even get challenged. So they didn't have to face adversity that, that every other team in the country had to face until it was basically too late. And, you know, I don't say that everything that losing is good, but you have to have something that tells you that, like Nick Saban said, you have to be humble. The game humbles everyone at some point, and it just didn't seem to do it to Alabama last year until the SEC championship game. But even then, they found a way to come back and win it. And, and then by the time it got to Clemson, that Clemson game such an aberration, um, you know, just the way the whole thing played out. They Alabama stopped Clemson on first and second down, but could not get off the field on third down, and then marches up and down the field and can't score. I mean, that game's so wild, I don't know what you take away from it. But uh, I do think there's some validity to the argument. They, they they could have used the dose of humility, be it a loss, or reaching down deep, having to come back and win in the regular season. They just, just didn't present itself last year. And, and speaking of Clemson, I think that this is something that's been discussed across Sports Talk Radio and everywhere in the SEC especially, is about the dynamic between Alabama and Clemson. A lot of people, a lot of people of national media even have said, you know, Clemson's reign has begun. Now they've taken over the Alabama. Now Dabo Sweeney is the better coach over Nick Saban. I mean, you have these people saying these things and talking about these things, which I think you could make some good points. But what do you think about the the point that people are making saying, you know, Dabo Sweeney and Clemson are overtaking Alabama. They're the cool school. They're the place to go. Even though Nick Saban and Alabama, it's still Nick Saban and Alabama. I think it's a convenient argument, and we live in a time now where it's uh, we're very much prisoners of the moment because a lot of the things that are said to be and listen, Clemson and Dabo absolutely deserve the things that are being said about them. They've earned it. Um, they've won two national championships. They're recruiting at a really high level right now. Uh, this is not taking anything away from them, but the same things that are being said right now about Alabama's being passed and this, you know, Clemson surpassed them. As we said this two years ago when Georgia had that all-world recruiting class, you know, Georgia, they almost, you know, nearly knocks off Alabama in the national championship game. They had won the SEC championship that year, and then they, they signed just an unbelievable, one of the best recruiting classes we've ever seen, and it's, oh, well, well Kirby's going to pass Nick. Georgia, Georgia's deep program in the SEC now. And Georgia's still a good program, but it just hasn't happened yet. Listen, um, we were having an interesting debate, and I don't know that it's possible just by the term what a dynasty means. Dynasty to me means 
you don't have one. But you could really make an argument right now. We're living in a time with two dynasties, with Alabama having a sustained dynasty since 2008, 2009. Um, but if there can only be one right now, it's, it's Clemson. They're the defending champions. They've won two of the last three. And uh, they're going to start number one in this season. And as much as we talked about Alabama's schedule, the ACC is garbage. The ACC is embarrassing. <laughs> I mean, those coaches set up there three or four years ago, and Jimbo Fisher and Dabo Swing told the whole world the ACC is the best college in college football. What a joke that is now. That is the worst conference in college football. Clemson's not going to get tested unless they go slip up and Syracuse gets them on a random Friday night like we saw a couple years ago. Clemson's not getting tested in the ACC. So they're the team to beat, and I think they're wearing the crown right now, and rightfully so. Aaron Suttles, Alabama beat writer for The Athletic. Really appreciate you hopping on with us, Aaron, man. Have fun this summer, and I'm sure we'll be catching up with you later down the road. All right, my man? All right, guys. Thanks for having me. Take care. Your number one source of local news and information you need. Like the Bud Light Morning Rush podcast? Check out the Halftime Pod at hitthatline.com.